God, we thank you for reminding us once again that you are Lord of all. You are the Lord of our days, Lord of our world, Lord of your church. You are Lord of our present and our future. You reign sovereign over all and are never caught by surprise, never at a loss for what to do, never overwhelmed by your creation or the creatures you have made. We thank you for the reassurance of your presence, Lord God. We trust in your eternal purposes. We rest in your bountiful grace. May our hearts become more deeply attuned to your action in the world that we might demonstrate the humility and obedience of Christ. For Jesus' name's sake we pray. Amen. Amen. For the time that is ours to share together, I want to talk a little bit about unity, unity, unity. Amen. So 2017 is almost over. We're entering into the last quarter of the Gregorian calendar, and I'm wondering about the hard questions. Like, where is my jetpack? <laughs> Where is my flying car? I mean, we're supposed to be living like the Jetsons now in 2017, are we not? That's what the people 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago predicted. By the time we got to the 2000s, it'd be flying cars and all of this going on, and we'd be spectacular when it came to technology. We are supposed to be in the heyday of technological advances. Where are they? Where is my jetpack? I don't necessarily care about anybody else's jetpack. Where is my jetpack? We have all kind of predictions that we, we do. We, we predict how we try to figure out how to make cars go faster and planes fly, fly further and, and do things now where you can a few keystrokes and affect something on the other side of the globe. All of these technological advances and people are predicting them, looking at what's going on now. And, and I remember when everybody would huddle around a small little 13-inch black and white TV. There might be somebody on the neighborhood, in the neighborhood and they had the TV for the entire neighborhood. Now people look down at you if you don't have a 50-inch flat screen 4K mounted on your wall. But people were able to mathematically predict that. They were able to see it coming. They could see the way the TV was working now and predict how it would work later. Sometimes they got it wrong. Sometimes they got it right. Sometimes they were underestimating how fast something like that would catch on. But with all of this predicting going on, with all of these advances that we made techno technologically, you know what people don't try to predict? People. People don't try to predict other people. 
You can go to school and learn about all kind of things, but nobody ever says that the people will change, or they don't try to predict the way people will behave as a culture or as a society or any of these kinds of things. Why? Because people don't change. The same issues we've had going on since the beginning of time, we've been able to improve. I mean, yes, we had fire and, and able to utilize electricity and all these things, but the way two different people act with one another, that's basically the same. Uh, the way people act when they get in front of a group, it's basically the same. You turn on the television and you see all of these scandals and, and all of these things going on with adultery and, and people stealing money and, and people having disagreements and people going to war with each other and all of these different scandals and things going on, but that was happening over 2,000 years ago. You have people going to war for things that aren't important. That was happening 2,000 years ago and further than that. Uh, those things were happening, and no matter what happened, uh, the more things changed, the more they sort of stayed the same. All these predictions about new tools and toys, but our basic emotional, mental, uh, personal needs have not changed over all these years. People are people no matter where you go. People are people no matter what side of the world they're on. People are people no matter what language they speak. People are people no matter what kind of income they've had. People are people no matter what kind of education they've had. We all are the same. Amen. And when it boils down to it, we all have some basic needs that we need fulfilled. But not only do we all have some basic needs that we need fulfilled, People are people, and so we all sometimes have the same conflicts. And when the people get together and they become a part of an institution, I don't know, say a church, for example, there may be some conflict involved. Uh, people... Some people connected to a church for a very long time. Some people not connected to the church just got in. There's bound to be conflict. And so the Apostle Paul is writing to this church at Philippi about some conflict. Uh, they, they, they have some conflict based on it because some people in the church are involved in the community a little more than others. Some people in the church uh, were born into this thing and some people just got into it soon, uh, soon after this man named Jesus came around. So there's a little bit of conflict about how they should operate. Uh, there's a little bit of conflict in the church. And so Paul, uh, unfortunately, is not there. I believe he's in jail at the time. So he has to write a letter to the church because the church folk aren't getting along. I mean, I know y'all can't picture anything like that. So just try to, try to use your imagination to imagine church folk not getting along about something. I know they just try to just try to just walk with me for a little bit on it. Just walk with me for a little bit. These church folk aren't getting along. And so Paul writes a letter to the people and it becomes what we know as the book of Philippians. And Paul starts off with an if. Uh, in some translations it says therefore. But he's saying if. 
if, if you have anything to do. There is no doubt about it, though, even though Paul is writing that the ifs and the therefores have been added so that this read a little better uh, in, in the English translation grammatically. But there is no doubt in Paul's mind that these people have benefited from Jesus. Uh, they may not be able to see it right now, but the fact that they have gotten in touch with this man from Galilee, they have gotten a benefit from it. And so he's writing to them to let them know. Paul is saying, if you've gotten anything, anything out of this thing called Christianity, anything out of following this man from Galilee named Jesus, if it has made any kind of difference in your life, then do Paul a favor and try to agree with one another. Yeah. Love one another. Yeah. Treat one another right. Speak to one another instead of behind each other's back. Try to treat people like they're your family and you love them if Jesus has done anything good for you. Again, I say he puts, we put this if in there, but is, there is no doubt about it. There ought to be some benefits about being in the body of Christ. Uh, he hung, bled, and died for your sins. That's a benefit. You no longer have to worry about death, hell, and the grave. That's a benefit. He woke you up this morning. That's a benefit. He started you on the way. That's a benefit. You got here safely. That's a benefit. So there is some sort of benefit to being in this thing called Christianity. And because there is a benefit, y'all ought to be able to get along with one another. Amen. Uh, it says do Paul a favor and love one another. Uh, the message Bible, I like it. It says be deep spirited friends. Be deep spirited friends. Uh, my New Testament professor, the Reverend Dr. Jamie Clark Souls, all said time and time again, she beat several things into my head when I was going to seminary and one of those things she beat into my head was that you cannot be a Christian outside of community. You cannot be a Christian outside of community. Yes, you can believe in Jesus. And you can maybe even stay home and watch the televangelists on TV. You might even take it a step further and donate the money uh, to that ministry. But that is not what the Bible says for us to do. Uh, the Bible says, behold, how good and pleasant it is for dwell, brethren to dwell together in what? Yeah. Unity. It says to fail not to assemble thyselves in Hebrews. We always not, we ought not forsake the assembly of others. We need to be able to come together. Uh, James says that true religion is to take care of the widows and the orphans. Why? Because the widows and the orphans can't take care of themselves. You have to be in community. When you read through Acts, all of the people in the church worked together to make sure that everybody's needs were taken care of and everybody had something that they needed right around Acts 2 if I remember correctly that is what the church is supposed to be doing we are supposed to be working together uh, Bishop Scott Jones our, our current bishop of the Texas Annual Conference flat out called it functional atheism you say you believe but where is the fruit we got to be willing to deal with one another if we are going to say that we believe in the man that hung, bled, and died for our sins and rose up on the third day, we have to be willing to deal with some other people. And it's not just about going to church. If going to church, if you think being in the church makes you a Christian, 
then being in a car garage would make you a car. Just because you're in the building doesn't mean you are performing the function accurately. We got to be willing to deal with one another. And so we enjoy loving, we enjoy this loving fellowship because of God's action and because of what God has done for us by sending his son to die for us because he was willing to give up his own son for us. We ought to be able to give up some of our time and our attitude and how we deal with people. And so he says that we enjoy this fellowship and we enjoy what God has done for us and we enjoy being a part of the believers and there's a thought pattern to it. We need to be of the same mind and we need to have the same love and we need to be a full accord and and be of one mind. And that doesn't mean that everybody's brainwashed and, 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 and whatever one person says goes. That's not what it means. But if we disagree with one another, we ought to be able to disagree with one another peaceably. We ought to be able to talk to one another. We ought not be able to, we ought not be mad because we didn't get the, our name on the program because we provided the paper plates for the city and of the fellowship and not come to the church for six months. Stepping on some toes, I'm sorry, but let me get back. But we ought to be able to deal with one another. I remember there was a colleague of mine that said it all the time. He said he grew up old school. And by that, he meant that if you provided the plastic forks and spoons for the cookout, your name deserved to be in the program, and Pastor needed to thank you from the pulpit during the middle of the program. We ought not to be doing things on our own selfish ambition. I'm I'm still in the text. Uh, I'm right around verse 3, where it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Conceit. So not only do we need to be able to deal with one another, but we, and not only do we need to be able to deal with one another peaceably and, and, and not just be disagreeable all the time, but we also ought not to do it to put it on our resume, to puff up our stats, put a title on ourselves. And pastors are not excluded from that. I, I, I beat on my own too. You be in a church with 20 members and have 15 armor bearers. Make people call you doctor even though you got your doctorate $10 online. When I'm out and about, I'm okay with somebody calling me Johnny. That is not any kind of disrespect. Because you can call me pastor and disrespect me until Jesus comes and call me Johnny and give me the honor of the office. So as we can't be about selfish ambition. Yes, And so Paul wants the people to make his joy complete. He wants them to to do him a favor. He wants them to do him a solid and display some unity. Get along with one another. He can't be there to deal with it, but he sent this letter for them to read and say they need to display fellowship. They need to love one another the way Christian believers should. 
time and time again, I get all these studies and, they, you know, the, the, the church as a whole, the big church, uh, everybody that professes Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is always trying to figure out how can we grow the church? How can we save more souls? How can we get more people in these seats? How can we continue to grow the church? Because there's a bunch of people out there that, 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 that need Jesus. We all need Jesus, but so all, you, you can take everybody that can be in church on Easter Sunday uh, or Christmas, Mother's Day, Easter's. You know those mandatory days that people come. You can take everybody in the church, count up every church around the town, count everybody in there, and it still would not equal the population of the city you're in. You'll have cities where there are close to five million people in it, and less than two million of the people actually go to church. And so they come up with all of these studies and they think about all these things that they want to do to grow churches. And you know what the common denominator of why people don't want to go to church, people don't want to get into this thing called Christianity and develop and be in a relationship with Jesus Christ and, the, and the, uh, be a part of the, the fellowship of believers because of the people who are already in it. It's plenty of people that have no problem with God. They have no problem with Jesus, but they have a problem with the congregation. They come to visit the church and people look at them based on how they dressed. They come to visit the church and don't nobody speak to them. They come to visit the church and people walk by them based on what kind of car they parked in the parking lot. They come to visit church and don't nobody want nothing to do with them because they done judged them and deemed them not worthy of the time. They don't want to come to church because on the job, it'll be the person that's the believer, that's the one that's the most cussingest, most backstabbing. Let me stop. We are always somebody's interpretation or definition of a Christian. When they want to think about Christianity, they don't think necessarily about Jesus immediately. They don't think about God immediately. They think about the Christians that they know. And if the Christian that they know is not somebody they would want to be around, if the Christian that they know is not somebody that they would want to spend time with, then they don't want to be a Christian. We are always somebody's perception of a Christian. Ah, No matter what the differences are, we need to be able to love one another. Uh, Christ should be the common ground. We need to at least be one in Christ. Uh, that's why we come to church to bolster those commitments, to bolster those desires, those intentions. Uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called uh, Life Together. And in that he said that the Christian cannot simply take for granted the privilege of living among other Christians. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. Uh, there was somebody that reviewed the book that added to it, we simply cannot survive alone. The idea of Christian community is not just an ideal, but a divine reality. So if we want to be able to hang around one another, we got to be able to treat one another better. And that may seem hard to do. It's hard to love your neighbor. 
it's hard to forgive somebody's trespasses as we forgive those who ask to forgive somebody else's trespasses as we ask for forgiveness from God. It's hard to do that. It's hard sometimes to be the adult of the relationship. It's hard sometimes to be the bigger person and let stuff go and work on building and growing and growing in love. It's hard to do that. I admit it. It is very hard to do that sometimes. But then I have to sit back and think about it. Yes, that is hard. But number one, anything worth having is worth working for. And number two, while it may be hard for me to work towards being and showing love towards one another and living in Christian community, the hard work has already been done. It was, it's hard for me to want to speak and treat people and, with love and, 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 and community, but I got to remember it was also hard to get hit with a cat of nine tails. Uh, it may be hard to love your neighbor as you love yourself, but it was also hard to wear a crown of thorns. It might be hard to treat people right, but it was also hard to carry a cross all the way to Calvary. It may have been hard to want to do this, but it was hard to get pierced in your side. It was hard to get those nails on your hand. It was hard for him to die, and it was hard for three days later for him to get back up with all power in his hands. So while my little bit is hard, the real hard work has already been done. And so my load is a little lighter. My burdens are not as heavy when I look at that because it is hard and the hard work has already been done. And it was hard because you had somebody that had everything and was willing to give it up. While we were yet sinners, he who knew no sin came down and took on the sin for us. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. And that word became flesh and dwelt among us and walked among us and knew what it was like to be hungry and tired and be tempted and and live a life that we could not live. But he lived the life that we could not live because he died a death that we could not die. He redeemed us with that work. So the hard work was done. And when it says that he didn't... being in the very nature of God and did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't have to do it, but he did. He came down and lived among us. And, and some translations actually say when it says he humbled himself, uh, a, a better translation would be he emptied himself. He gave all, all, all of it. He was there before us. Came down to walk among us. And because of what he did, he is exalted over us. Uh, and, and because he did that, we now have access to heaven. Because he did that, we are now removed from the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin. Because he did that, we now have access to heaven and don't have to worry about death, hell, and the grave. But he didn't have to do it. That's why I thank God he did. We don't deserve it, but he still saw fit to take your sins and my sins and put them on the cross with him. And then that it says that Jesus is Lord. I, uh, I like that because that is a direct shot against the, uh, across the bow 
uh, of the, these people because the Philippi was under the Roman Empire at the time. And, and, and that Lord was a direct shot at Caesar because the city of Philippi prided itself on being loyal to the Roman Empire. Yeah. The city prided itself on patriotism. The city prided itself on being uh, completely loyal to the country. And so when they had that, they would call Caesar Lord. They would call Caesar Lord. And so when they talk about Jesus being the king of kings and the Lord of lords, that is what they're saying is that God should be over your uh, loyalty to the country. God should be over that because he is the creator of the universe. Kings and kingdoms, they will all pass away. But there is something about that name, that name Jesus. And so when they say that, this is a hymn that was going around and they say that that name is more powerful than any name above it. That name Jesus is more powerful than any president. That name Jesus is more powerful than any country. That name Jesus sits above all. That name Jesus rules and reigns supreme. There is something about that name. There is a name. I love to hear. I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in my ear. The sweetest name on earth. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. And because that name is there, it's more powerful. That name will open doors. That name will make a way out of no way. Won't he do it? Won't he do it? Won't he fight your battles? Won't he make your enemies your footstool? Won't he give you joy and sorrow? Won't he give you hope for tomorrow? Won't he soothe your doubts? Won't he calm your fears? Won't he kill your fear? Won't he do it? That name Jesus, the more I call him, the better I feel. Heart fixer, mind regulator, the doctor in the sick room, the lawyer in the courtroom, that name is above every name. In that name, demons tremble. In that name, it'll heal the sick. That name can raise the dead. That name can open up blinded eyes. That name can set the captives free. Jesus, the name above all names. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open, and we invite you to come.